bamboozled. Penn State loses to Ohio State 20-12. to First thoughts, first deep thoughts, film room, and all of your fan questions answered on this week's episode. Welcome in. It's Monday, October 23rd. Appreciate everybody being here. Make sure if you haven't already, make sure to like the video and subscribe if you're on YouTube. And if you're listening on podcast form, please make sure you subscribe. Be with you in just one second. Penn State football. I'm Corey Listoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? I've been better. <laughs> um, you know, if it wasn't bad enough, <clears throat> wasn't bad enough watching Penn State on Saturday. Then uh, Miami Dolphins confirmed who they were in my eyes, and they showed the country who they were as well. So, yeah, terrible football weekend. Just awful. How about you, Corey? Yeah, I, I did a little bit better than that. Not not that much better, but not having an NFL team very much helps in that. Fantasy teams did okay, which that's always nice to see. Kind of eases the pain a little bit because I did not have a very good college football betting weekend either. So, And I don't really bet on the NFL because I'm just awful at it. So, um, NFL yeah, is just, just, just not great in that in that capacity either. But um, we're here, Sean, and, and we have a lot to talk about. We're gonna. I have like a whole list of like first thoughts. That's like a page long over here. Um, so we're gonna talk quite extensively. Um, but instead of doing like our normal like positional breakdown, I I think we're just gonna get into the fan questions towards the end of the show. Uh, you guys sent us like over fifty fan questions. And, and we're so answering we, all of them. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna be um, a lot of them are the same thing. So I think we're gonna be able to double and triple up. I think we got about seven or eight questions to answer. Um, 
but some of them are pretty funny as well. So I, if, I'll give a little like challenge out. If someone, get, I'll read off the best comments. If there's some good comments in the YouTube channel, um, I will say this. And if you're new here, you you might not be more aware. But I think I'm guessing Sean, you're gonna provide a a testimony that I think most of the fans are gonna probably appreciate more than I like. I'm going to, um, but I think I don't think anybody's wrong. As far as, well, no, people are wrong. But I don't think either of us are going to be wrong as far as, well, people aren't wrong about their emotions. But I think people, some people are wrong wrong about their exits of the game. But it is 100% understandable to be kind of, you know, I use the word bamboozled. um, And I'll kind of go into that a little bit later on. But um, I felt, like, tricked and betrayed. And not from, like, a betrayal, like, James Franklin left and went to a different college or anything like that, or a decommitment happened. I just kind of felt like my eyes betrayed me a little bit, or maybe I just wasn't, you know, maybe I wasn't paying attention close enough because there were some signs there, Sean. But that's just the word I would use and kind of how I felt. But I can totally understand frustration and anger and anguish and and a lot of other things. So, um, Sean, what are your what are your first thoughts on this game? We can just kind of go one. One through one here. And if you say one, I'll check it off my list and um and we can kind of go through. I think you'll do a better job surmising the overall feeling. And I, I definitely want to be the one who talks about Drew Aller because I think I, I, I think I'm gonna hit on it maybe a little bit harder than even you will. I think <clears throat> excuse me. I think I felt foolish um to believe that we were that Penn State was going to get this done and I felt super confident since the summer that this was the year Penn State was going to get over the hump and you know finally beat Ohio State I thought we were a better team I love the matchups that we had I, I still really like the matchups we have against Ohio State and how we match up and then Ohio State has the injuries going in and you know and you want to beat them at 100 percent but yeah I mean the reality of football is if they're more if the other team is more banged up, that gives you a better chance to win the game. And I believed again that Penn State was going to go and get this done. And it was just the same thing. Um and a se- not and no two seas no two games are identical. But you know, I, I said to Corey, uh, we were talking privately, it's a lot like like watching the Penn State Ohio State game yearly from a Ohio State fan perspective, it's probably like watching a Disney movie. So what do I mean by that? So if you ever watch a Disney movie, like uh, um, there's always a conflict, always, and there's some drama with the main characters, and sometimes it looks like hope is lost, but in the end, they're he- they're heroes find a way to get it done. The bad guys, us you know, end up looking like fools at the end. And they come out the winner and everybody lives happily ever after. And for us, it's like a really messed up version of a Disney movie. We're just like the villains win. It's like watching, I don't know, Empire Strikes Back or something. It's it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And I think the fans are tired of it and I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm tired of I, I'm I'm just, I'm just tired of um, I'm just tired of this all the time. I think that's just 
And I think that's how a lot of the fans feel right now. And different people, and th- this is a conversation we'll have. I think different people have different opinions on where we go from here. But I think that's the general feeling in the fan base. And that's my general feeling. What impresses me the most is in this Disney saga, if you will, Penn State continues to find different ways to lose this game. It is not the same way every time. I mean, just 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 the last two years, for example. Last year, Penn State commits four turnovers. You can blame the turnovers. This year, Penn State not only wins the turnover battle, they actually don't you know have any turnovers themselves, and they still lose the game. So it, it's just kind of like damned if you do and damned if you don't. And, you know, we were pretty big defenders of Sean Clifford, and we thought Sean Clifford gave him a good chance to win that game last year, despite all the turnovers and stuff that he had. He still had a really good game statistically, and we thought he should have played that game. A lot of people wanted Drew Aller at that point in the season. And now you have Drew Aller, and you're still not able to get over that hump. And so – it's the same thing, right? It's like you you needed something in between what Sean Clifford brought last year. And, yeah, he brought production, but he also brought turnovers. And then you needed something more than what Drew Aller brought to the table, which was consistently nothing. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good either. And you needed something in between. And, and yet again, Penn State finds themselves kind of asking questions after the Ohio State game. Um, I'm going to read some comments here on YouTube real quick, Sean, before we get into the next piece of this. Um, Brian Walter, you know, is talking about Sandy Barber giving James Franklin a new contract. Um, Jeff says, allocate the blame to everybody. Yersich, Aller, receivers, offense line, Franklin, everybody. Um, Matt says, has anyone started to go fund me to bring Joe Moorhead yet back? Um, Sam Williams says, wasn't sure if it was possible to be this angry human being. How much more of a getting beat by OSU every year can we take? I'm usually measured all the time, but Franklin is in year 10. Brian says, what's up with your sets? We don't have a number one receiver. Um, he's a statue. He's not mobile. We'll talk about Drew Aller in a second. Um, Sean, I want to get to the coaching staff because to me, like, well, let's start with what we agree with completely. I think we both can 100% agree it is the coach's staff's responsibility to get this team up from an emotional, mental, psychological perspective on this. And and surely the defense was ready. Surely the defense was prepared. They played inspired football the entire evening. But, again... It felt like the Michigan game on offense as far as the offense looking timid, as far as the offense not looking like they wanted to be there, like they were scared to make big plays. Um, it just it just didn't seem like there was any sort of inspiration on that side of things. And we'll talk X's and O's in a second, but to me, you had a month to prepare from this game. You had a month to get up for this game, and, and you couldn't find a way to do it. You know, that to me is is – puzzling because everybody and their mother was up for this game and so i don't understand i understand the offense isn't going to come out and be as hoorah as the defense right the the two different sides of the football but 
they didn't look like they wanted to make plays out there for a lot of the game. And that, to me, is is terrifying. Now, I will say that I'll, I'll let you talk now because we agree there. Where we begin to maybe diverge is how much blame we put on the coaching staff from an X and O's perspective. I, I mean, I, I don't think anyone doesn't deserve blame here. Um, during the game, Sean, I very much thought your such called a bad game. Like, I thought it was a really bad call game. Um, when I was texting Adam Brennan earlier, he was like, same thing. He's like, I thought originally it was a bad game. and that, But when I watched the game the second time, then when I watched it like a third time today, there was a lack of execution. In fact, offensively, it was impressive how bad they were at executing. Like, to the point where I don't think they could execute that poorly again. And so I'm not saying there shouldn't be blame to go around because if your players aren't executing, that's still the coaches at the end of the day. Um, but I don't know if they could have executed that poorly if they tried. So I, I am going to blame their players more than sit up here and yell for Mike Yersich to be fired. I, I don't think Yersich called that bad of a game. And before you guys all yell at me in the YouTube comments, we are going to get to the film room later on. But Sean will have your back for sure, I'm sure, in a second. There's a lot more, <clears throat> though, that goes into being a coach than just calling plays. There's a lot more to being an offensive coordinator than just calling plays. I uh, remind you, Mike Yersich is also the quarterback coach. So we saw how, I mean, <clears throat> Drew played a bad game. Uh, there's no other way to put it. He, he was not good. Well, Mike Yersich is his position coach and his offensive coordinator. So... There is nobody more involved in Drew Aller's preparation, uh, daily preparation, weekly preparation, than Mike Yersich is. So that ultimately falls on Mike Yersich. Um, you know, watching the plays again, yeah, there were some times that Mike called some good plays. There are also some not-so-good plays mixed in there as well. Um, but yeah, it ultimately, you know, the coaching staff has to try to get the most out of, out of what they have. And... I don't believe this is the most that uh, Drew Aller could do. I don't believe this is the most that Nick Singleton could do, although I thought Singleton played all right, but we're going to get into him, and I have some thoughts there. Um, the, the receivers, again, you know, I, I think the problem there, we don't have a true number one, and we're asking a number two receiver to be a number one and a number three receiver to be a number two and so on and so forth. And it's just a mess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I want it's on Mike Yersich and James Franklin to get this offense fixed by the end of the year. And if if they don't have it fixed, but I would give them to the bowl game. And then I want Mike Yersich fired if they don't get it fixed, because it's on him to be able to fix it. And like I said, there's a lot more that goes into play into being an offense coordinator than just calling the plays. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Sean, as far as being the the quarterback coach and having your guy prepared. I think, that, I think that's a really good point. Um, I don't know what, you know, you say fixed. I don't know what fixed is for this offense, right? Like, like what what is what is fixed? Um, you know. It's not they're not gonna be what they were last year. They're probably not even gonna be a shell of what they were last year. You know what I mean? Like that that they just unless so I guess here's my thing. And I don't want to go too far down this because we actually have a fan question about 
like what they sure. need to do before Michigan. Sure, I got an answer for that too. Go ahead. Um, but like we, I don't know what the best. You know, Nate Bauer had a good way. He put it really well on three. He said two things that kind of like impressed me. Was the Iowa game the best thing that this offense could be? Like drew out a really high completion percentage, took care of the football, nickel and dime down the field, scored touchdowns when they got in the red zone. Is that the best they can be? And then the second part of that, which will I think steer us to the Drew Aller conversation next, is um if Drew Aller, who again didn't throw an interception on Saturday, hasn't thrown one in his career at Penn State yet, including last year, he didn't throw an interception during the 15 practice in the summer. Nate Bauer had an interesting kind of funny point, but the truth is. What were they running in practice? Like, in my mind, practice is the perfect time to throw interceptions. And they were parading that around like that was a good thing. And now in hindsight, it's like, maybe we wanted Drowler to throw the ball over the middle in practice and 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 have some turnovers. Because now we're a little bit, we're October 23rd, Sean. It, it, it's a little bit past just getting getting the practice now you're in the you know make moves or get left behind part of the season and it doesn't seem like drew aller is is ready to rock and roll so those are the two things so i guess my point is if he's not ready to rock and roll by october 23rd how much is that offense really going to improve by the end of the year yeah i mean it begs the question what was drew aller doing in practice was it just this was it just he's checked down charlie and no throws over the middle and I, I don't know. Maybe it was. I wasn't there. Uh, but the, they seemed impressed with him in the press conferences. But it's hard to gauge because James Franklin's not going to get up there and go, yo, Drew's really afraid. So it's not going to happen either. So it's hard to take too much out of that. Uh, I'll answer the question as how to how I, I have some ideas from, um, in case Mike Yersich is listening. Um, yet, uh, I think number one, get Nick Singleton out in space more. Uh, he tried that, and I think that would have worked on um, the it was third and one. Um, get him more involved in the passing game. You know, it, 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 I, I don't I don't like how he's just not consistently creative. He does some creative things, but it's not enough. He needs more of it. Um, a lot like how the Patriots back when Tom Brady was the quarterback would use their running backs like Danny Woodhead would always be there to catch catch the ball uh ben jarvis green ellis and nick's i'm here to tell you nick singleton's a lot more talented than those guys and i think he could make a lot more happen uh same thing with katron katron's a very capable receiver so i think he's got to start calling plays and and getting creative and getting uh different ways and finding different ways to get them the ball also and this is something Corey and i cannot answer because we do not know the answer to this james franklin always preaches don't turn the ball over are they being overcoached is drew aller being overcoached not to make a mistake and i don't know the answer to that but he looks afraid to make a mistake he, uh, he uh, it, it's the same thing and, and we're gonna get into drew but he looks he looks timid and i think we raised the red uh, maybe an orange flag a bright orange flag last month about this that he 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 looks afraid to make mistake and and you're not going to win games like this and we said it back then you will not beat Ohio State Michigan being afraid to make a mistake um 
yeah, so those are two things that I think they could maybe fix. Let's talk about Drew Aller, and I'm going to probably go on a long rant here um, because that was really what I focused in on for the last two days. I, I tried to just really put together as much information as I can. We're going to go into film room after these kind of first initial thoughts, and I'll show you some of it. So if you just don't believe me, just hang on, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I'll show you examples of all of this, I promise you. Um, and if you're on social media, I'll probably clip them together like while I'm talking, so it'll be easier for you to see. But um, we raise that orange flag. I'm raising the red flag now, Sean. I I'm raising the red oh, flag. Oh, we're red now, out. yeah. Because there are there have been symptoms of his play, his bad play, from the very beginning. And before I get too far into this, I want to give the young man credit. A lot of quarterbacks won't go out there, talk to the press after a game like that. He went out there. He took the blame. He said, I sucked, which is awesome that he did that from a leadership perspective. I respect that, and I appreciate that because at the end of the day, he's the guy that's in the arena. But he did stink. He, he stunk real bad. And, again, we'll show you some film later on, but this was not a one-time thing. You know, when I made my prediction on Wednesday – I mentioned that the, the home away split scared me, and, and that continued to be true. But it goes even deeper than that, Sean. I mean, go back to blue and white his freshman year, where he had zero ability to throw the ball over the middle of the field. Dom DeLuca picked him off two times, and he looked, he looked at times out of the whack then. And you're like, oh, he's just a true freshman. He's only been on campus for a couple months. Like, no big deal. But there was a symptom then that we kind of just brushed off, whatever. And then there were times during the Michigan game last year, you know, there, there were times even in the Indiana game where everyone talked about that really good throw. And I pointed out that one throw, he wasn't very good. And we're like, well, whatever, not a big deal. Like, you know, there were little tidbits, breadcrumbs, if you will, so far in his tenure where this was, you know, this was 100% possible. And the reason I'm so critical on him versus, say, a Sean Clifford or a Trace McSorley is because he's a five-star guy, Sean. And a five-star guy was supposed to come in here, and he's supposed to win the games on Saturday. That, that game was up for the taking. Uh, a decent quarterback, a decent play at quarterback wins them that football game on Saturday. There were plays to be made all over that field that were left out there and that and that they they lost the game because of it. Now it wasn't just his fault. There was plenty of other people that made mistakes that could help them win the game too. It was only it's only an eight or a six point game when it's or an eight point game when it's all said and done. So plenty of other people could have made plays too. But he did not do enough. And he's a five star guy. And yes, the offensive line could have done things better. The running backs could have caught the ball better. The receivers could have got open and the tight ends could have caught the ball. But he's a five-star guy. He's supposed to elevate everybody else. He's supposed to put the ball on the right side of the shoulder to Ty Warren. He's supposed to see the guy open after he looks off the, the single high safety and throw the ball to, Ty, uh, to Trey Wallace. He's supposed to make those kind of plays. He's supposed to make everyone else better. And he hasn't done that yet. So I am I am very critical of him because I we know the talent he has, and he hasn't shown it yet. And it is frustrating because Penn State has waited for a guy like that. Penn State has waited, and I think he has the tools to do it, 
But the inability to throw over the middle of the field, Sean. I mean, again, we're going to show film later on. But, I mean, I just had a whole list here. He lacked vision. He did not elevate, like I mentioned. He was scared in the pocket. He ran out of good pockets. He did not see audibles that he needed to see. For example, on a play where JTT blew him up, you you got an audible out of that. You had more people than you could block on that play. Um, no desire to throw over the middle, not just against Ohio State, but on three, had a good number. He has thrown only 11% of his passes. Pass attempts this year is 11%. McCord. J.J. McCarthy all over 20 and the 30 percent. So if you're curious, Sean Clifford last year was at 17 percent. So he's even 6 percent less than Sean Clifford. Um, he's not a threat with his legs, and he didn't throw even a good deep ball yesterday. And the threat against the legs to me is the scary part because you have to do one of two things, Sean, if you're going to be a good quarterback in college. You've got to be able to throw the deep ball to stress the defense vertically, or you've got to be able to run with your legs and stretch the defense horizontally. You've got to be able to do one of the two things. Otherwise, the defense can kind of do whatever they want. And he does not have the legs to, to be a Trace McSorley. And so he's got to be able to do it with his arm. And you're not going to be able to do that if you're not taking shots in the middle of the field. That might have been the most critical I've ever been of anybody on this show ever, Sean. Yeah, usually it's me. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean... Guys, you, you need better. You need better than what Drew gave us. And it's, you know, the expectation that we had probably, I don't know if it was, I'm trying to look for the right word. It wasn't justified based on what we saw last season. So, Think about why people were so excited about Drew Aller going into the year. Like, think about yourself when you're listening to the show. Why were you excited for Drew Aller? Well, he's a five-star quarterback. Okay. So was Rob Oldham. So was Anthony Morelli. So was Paul Jones, who played tight end, ended up playing tight end at Penn State. Um, yeah, like five-star quarterbacks... You know, it, it's not some slam dunk. There are a lot of five-star. Graham Mertz was a five-star quarterback. Um, and he looked like Graham Mertz was constant addition yesterday, or on Saturday. Another reason you were probably excited for Jarreller. Well, I mean, look how he looked against Purdue. The drive he came in against Purdue, he threw he, two nice passes. One of them was dropped and we punted. That's what happened against Purdue. Uh, well, he looked good when he got into the games late in mop-up duty. His best game was against Ohio. Not Ohio State, Ohio University. So really, guys, I don't think the hype was ever really justified. And maybe part of that's on on, on me and people uh, that have platforms. And maybe, but it when you really look at it, it wasn't justified because he hadn't shown us much anything now do i think drew is done no no you got to be able to come back from this and i appreciated that he showed a lot of emotion at the press conference um but it's about redirecting that emotion and that bad feeling he had into fight into having success and not getting down on yourself 
um, and getting better from adversity because there's a lot still out here for us this season. And I know, I, I know people really probably don't want to hear this, but we lost by eight points on the road to the number three team in the country. The season is not over. And certainly, Drew Eller's career is not over. It's up to him and the rest of this offense and this coaching staff to fix what happened. And uh, for a performance like that to never replicate itself again. Um, yeah, and, and I want to make sure that's clear. I, I think Drew Eller, I'm not a quarterback coach. I don't know how hard it is to fix those things. Um, I, I don't think his accuracy is amazing, but I don't think his accuracy is bad. Like there was like that that Ty Warren throw is gonna upset me because he threw it to the wrong shoulder, almost got picked off. Um, but he's shown like the throw to Caden Saunders was an excellent throw. So like he he has shown the flashes to do it. Um, and I think the vision thing and the staying in the pocket thing, and, and I think those things can be fixed. I, I don't really know how long that takes. I don't know what that's like, but I think those things can be fixed. Uh, um Da Dumb on on YouTube. Put a red flag for each item on Corey's list. So that's pretty funny. Um, yeah, and I, you're right, John. Like, and I don't want to talk too much about this because of the fan question regarding this, but I do think they can improve before the end of the year. I just, I just don't know. I don't know how that gets fixed. I think it can be. I just don't know how. Um, it's going to be hard to fix him mid-year, no doubt about it, because there are things that he does. In addition, I agree with everything you said on your list like anticipation on throws like he doesn't he doesn't yeah. throw guys open he doesn't hit guys out of the breaks he's late a lot and we're gonna get into that um there are throw there there are plays that you know people blame this guy or this guy but no if you go and watch the play drew is late drew is late throwing the ball so ball placement anticipation to me uh, and this will be tough for people to hear i don't think you fix that in a year uh, yeah. in, in, a, in a month uh, right they, they could fix it eventually i don't think he could fix that particular thing within a few weeks yeah anticipation is probably the more challenging one on that list but i mean we're going to show some plays where it's like uh why weren't you throwing that ball right then and now and so we'll talk about that um i wanted to mention higgs our buddy higgs had a good point curious to see if mike Yersich comes back down onto the field to help with those in-game adjustments um right now he's back up in the booth this year and franklin's mentioned it's like yeah they can make some tweaks before halftime but some things you just have to wait until you get back into the locker room and can kind of have him digest it maybe it's worth having your sitch come back on the sideline and help his quarterback out i mean i'll be curious if that's something that's asked tomorrow during the press conference but i think that's actually a really good point so uh, I wanted to throw that out there, too. Let us know on YouTube if you think that's a, a good or a bad idea. Um, okay, I wanted to mention the T formation. We didn't see the T formation on Saturday. I think I understand why. A couple of reasons why. Number one, Khalil Dinkins traveled, but I don't know how healthy he was. He's been He's been out last, what, two weeks now? Or maybe just one, but hadn't seen him for a while. One. But okay. then we had the bye week, too. Right. So, so maybe it, two. It had been a minute. Um, don't know how healthy he was. Don't know they really thought he was going to be able to be a factor in the run game if they would have brought him out there in in that kind of H-back, fullback formation. And then Angel Rappelier, which is his backup, was out. 
So you would have been looking at maybe you're going your third string eights back in the T formation. Like, is that Joey Schlaufer? Is that Jerry Crot? Like, I don't even know who that is. We've never even seen that third string H back. So that's one reason why I think they didn't go to it. Um, additionally, uh, J.B. Nelson, who was cleared to play, did not play. And so you're you're missing him at the left, you're missing him at the left guard spot. And Vega Ione, God bless him, still young, redshirt freshman, didn't have his best day. Um, didn't kind of got kind of got pushed around him and Hunter Norzad, who Hunter Norzad's had a really good year. Hunter Norzad, I don't know if he was trying to like just help Ione out, but his snaps were low. He was getting blown up. Ty Williams and Michael Hall in the inside for Ohio State's defensive tackles, they had a really good day. Um, they had a really, really good day. And that that you can't really run the team formation uh, sweeps or off tackles if you're getting internal pressure. It just doesn't work. If you get if you get blown up on the inside, you're not gonna have success with those plays. Think about what Newton did during the Illinois game. Um, and then the only other point I wanted to make as far as me why I didn't see that, it looked like and and I think uh, T. Frank mentioned this on that fourth and one, which frustrated the hell out of me when they called that timeout just to punt it. But they were sending uh, Drew Shelton on the field to be a sixth offensive lineman. So it seemed like they were going to go to a big man package, but not a T formation package with Drew Shelton in there. Maybe that was like their okay, we can't do T form. We're going to do something with a sixth offensive lineman, but we didn't see that. Um, and just for the record, I think they should have went for it in that situation. I, I, just because I didn't, don't think the play calling was awful or bad doesn't mean I, I agree with everything that they did. There's lots of things I didn't agree with. I hated the play call on the trick play. I hated the play call for the two point conversion. I didn't like that they punted it or they punted it there. I didn't like that they did punt it on that fourth and three. So there's a lot of things I disagree with the coaches. I'm not trying to give them a, a free slate, but I didn't think that offensive play calling was awful as people thought. But anyway. Any thoughts on the team formation, Sean? Yeah, I mean, first off, we weren't in third and one very much. Now, I, I thought at first down, I thought we did all right. Um, second down, no. Um, second down really put us in binds. So there was a lot of third and sixes, a lot of third and five. And you're not going to run up the T formation at that point. Um, but really... I don't know if it would have worked because our guys are getting beat so bad on the on the line. Um, it's no secret that the running backs haven't had their best uh, that they that they both played better last year, so that probably factored in um, on on the fourth down that you're talking about. I I understood punting, but what I didn't like at all, what I absolutely hated was okay we run the guys out for the t formation we don't line up we call a timeout and we punt we don't even try to draw them off sides so i didn't understand the point of that at all i think james franklin really didn't know what he wanted to do and for whatever reason he just called timeout and we just punted so i i just think he probably didn't know what he was what 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 to do um, different, different formation too. They hadn't gone to that six offensive lineman this year. You wonder if there was a personnel issue. Somebody didn't come out that was supposed to come out and they were just, they weren't organized. 
Maybe, maybe. And that falls on the staff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, since we're talking a little bit of running. I yeah, wanna, that's a good place to go. Yeah, I want to bring something up that I noticed over the weekend. So, Corey, there are very few people I've never criticized on this show, the associate with mm-hmm. Penn State. Terry Smith, he's one. I, I don't have anything bad to say about Terry Smith. Anthony Poindexter. What other coach I don't think I've ever criticized on here? Jay Wan Sider. So why am I criticizing our ace recruit or our ace recruiter? And a pretty, pretty darn good position coach. I did some research. And I noticed one common thread with every single one of his running backs. Every single one of them that he's recruited, their best season was always their freshman year. Devin Ford, Noah Kane, Kevon Lee, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, uh, Koziah Holmes. Why? Like, why? Why is that? And every single one of the running backs that he's ever recruited have transferred out. None of them have graduated, have finished their careers. I don't, they might have graduated. Uh, none of them have finished their careers at Penn State. And except the guys on roster. So I just find that very odd, very peculiar. And I don't know if there's something going on with how Jaywan Sider develops his running backs, but I think it's, I think it's concerning. Uh, I think that's weird, and I don't think you see that in a lot of places. So I don't really know why that happened, but I just thought I'd point it out. Yeah, I didn't realize that none of them have ever let, like graduated from Penn State before. No, it's it's strange. Was Devin, was Devin Ford the first one? First one what? Like that he recruited? Was it Devin Ford's uh, first I one? I think him and Kane came in together. That's right. Yeah. And then Journey Brown and Miles, he coached them, but they were already here. And right. I mean, you know, Journey had an unfortunate uh, setback. Yeah. So and, didn't know uh, it came uh, from and Miles was a My- Miles got drafted. But all the guys that he's recruited, it's it's just weird. And, and I don't know. I, I, I don't know what conclusions to draw, but there's something going on with development there. Yeah. And I want to talk about the running backs, too, because. One thing we got a lot was, why did we stop running the ball in the second half? And, I mean, guys, the best run in the second half was for three yards. It it wasn't very good because Ohio State decided straight up, we are going to load the box. I'm not kidding you. They went and they they went to so many three linebacker run blitzes. Like, you couldn't make it up. Like, they were – that they were selling out to stop the run. And you got to be able to take advantage of that. You've got to be able to throw the ball over the top. You've got to be able to hit every slant route they give you and make them pay. I mean, they were literally sending all of their linebackers on multiple run plays. And people are like, oh, they got away from who they were and they got away from the run. The run game was not there. I, we have we have evidence, video evidence of them trying to run on a short third down and getting absolutely blitzed. Um, partially was because Vegione was struggling to get to the next level, which, you know what? A redshirt freshman left guard trying to get to the next level against a fast Ohio State, probably four or five star recruit. 
is not really a big detriment on him. But it's a tough thing to do to ask that guy who comes into the box late to pick that up on an inside zone. But it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And and I'm going to be honest. I, I'm a little disappointed with, with 24-7 sports Tyler Donahue. I thought his tweet today was very disingenuous. He mentioned something about how Penn State wasn't getting the ball to Cage on Allen and Nick Singleton enough in the second half. And then he compared it to Marv Harrison. And he didn't even mention the number of plays each offense was on the field for. Like, yeah, they got Marv Harrison the ball more than when they got than Penn State got Cage on Allen and Nick Singleton the ball. But that's because Marv Harrison was on the field more. Percentage-wise, Marv Harrison got the ball less in the second half than Penn State got the ball to Nick Singleton and Cage on Allen. I have the numbers right here for you. Catron Allen and Nick Singleton touched the ball eight of the 16 plays in the second half before mop-up duty, before that second Ohio State setup challenge. They touched the ball 50% of the time. How much more do you want them to touch the football? And mind you, Sean, of that 50% of those eight touches they had, 2.4 yards per touch. How many more times do you want them to get the ball when they're averaging 2.4 yards per touch. And that includes two catch or one catch by Nick Singleton and one drop by Nick Singleton. How much more do you want them to, to really be involved? Now, again, if they are able to get a couple of first downs and they're able to convert, there's more plays. Then they probably get the ball more. But when you only run 16 plays in the second half before it's mop-up duty, I don't really know how much more you want them to get. I mean, a drive can only go so many ways when you're going to have a three and out. Right. You run on first down, you run on second down. You want them to just run it on third and ten? Because that's what they were going to be at, maybe third and seven again. Like it doesn't make any sense. You can harp on them all you want. Ohio State decided in the second half, okay, Drew, let's see what you got. And unfortunately, and not just Drew, but unfortunately the passing game wasn't able to get it done. So I, I'm upset with that because I think they, you know, at the end of the day, everyone just lists the numbers and they say Nick Singleton and Catron Allen only touched the ball nine or had had uh, 18 combined rush attempts. Well, they had 20 and they didn't, Penn State really didn't run that many plays. Like, I just, how do you think it's going to go down? Right. I mean, it just frustrates me, Sean. Like, also, you have other really good players. Like, I love when people are like, oh, we need to get this group more involved we need to get this more group involved well you only have one ball so do you want to get katron allen and nick singleton the carries do you want to get the tight ends involved i, I would i would venture to say keandre lambert smith deserves to have 25 percent of the targets his way he's your best player out in the outside do you just not throw it to any other receivers then i'm just i'm just not for it sean i think when you start getting into those specifics especially when you didn't have the ball very much you can get really upset about things that really don't look good because the offense wasn't good, not because they weren't trying to get the ball to them. Yeah, I mean, the thing that should really be upsetting us is we only had 16 plays before that last drive in the second half. Right. That's exactly. the thing that should be really upsetting us. Um, the most amount of plays Penn State ran before that last drive where they scored the touchdown, most amount of plays they had was seven. Seven plays. That was our longest drive of the day up to that point. So <clears throat> reality is nobody was touching the ball. Now, do I think they could get it to Nick Singleton, K. Chan Allen in more creative ways? Yes. Yes. That's something that I touched on earlier. I think that's a very valid um that's a very valid critique. Uh get them in space. K or uh 
Nick Singleton, straight line, very fast, very fast. And part of the reason he had a chance on that swing pass that he dropped was because of his speed. And they, you know, we're finally putting him out in space and Nick dropped the ball. Uh, Also wasn't a great throw, but still catchable ball. You got to make that play. So to me, that's the bigger issue is um, we only had 16 plays. I mean, guys, we were uh, the 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 stat that told the story in this game more than Marvin Harrison Jr.'s big, big day. And he was he was awesome. One of 16 on third downs. That's the beginning. That's the middle. That's the end. If you can't, if you're a ball control team who can't control the ball, well, then what are you? It's going to look very, very ugly if you are so focused on controlling the ball and you just can't do it. And it's another reason why, ooh, that Michigan game, man, that 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 does not look good <laughs> coming up if, if we can do it against Ohio state. Uh, also in the run game, Ohio state did, did other, did different things than they've done all season. And what they did early in the game against Penn state, because early in the game, Nick Singleton was having success running the ball. Right. And they started bringing the state, their third safety into the box. They started blitzing more, something we haven't really seen much from, from Jim Knowles. And, Credit to Jim Knowles. He made a good adjustment, and we couldn't adjust. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm so sick and tired, again, of our offensive line being unable to handle stunts against against better talent. This is every time. I mean, they just yeah. – it, it goes back to Herb Hand. They just can't handle stunts when it's more talented uh, – when they're dealing with more talented competition. We could handle UMass stunting, but when it comes to Ohio State, Michigan, they just can't handle it, and yeah, it's okay, very frustrating though. to watch. They the offensive line actually did pretty, pretty good relatively for being in the position they were in. Like if Penn State had the lead, you would probably say that Penn State had a pretty good day up front, but they were being asked to basically pass block, especially pass block in situations where everyone knew they had to pass pretty much the entire game. And that's just not easy to do against a really talented No, pass team. pro I didn't have as much of an issue with. Um, look, and when it comes to the run game, like, Norzad just got blown up, just straight up. Vega really struggled to combo block to the linebackers. He just couldn't get there. Just couldn't do it. Sometimes he got confused, too, on who he was actually supposed to go get. He, they couldn't identify who the mic was. They couldn't identify who they wanted to zone step towards. Vega really struggled when it came to that. Um, one other little nitpick kind of cool thing was that they did do that was kind of cool. They pulled Hunter Norzad one time, and that was that was a cool counterplay too. But yeah, like they were bringing in that linebacker so late that offense line had already d- identified who they were going to go to, and Vega couldn't make that adjustment. And there was at least two times they just didn't pick him up. And the guy went another time, Sean, I don't actually don't have this play, but um, they it's a run to the left. I think it's a first down, but it's a run to the left. They pull uh, Sal warmly. I'm sorry. They pull Caden Wallace and they have Theo Johnson on that side. If they pull 
you got to block down in that situation. He does not block down, and that Ohio State linebacker comes on a blitz and tackles Nick Singleton from behind. And that's just like blocking 101 if you step down towards that. And so um, just just little thing. It just comes back to the same thing, right? Execution. Did not execute simple things that you should be able to you should be able to accomplish. And I'm going to show some of those in film in just a second. Um, Sean. Yeah. I I wanted to just, we hadn't talked about the defense at all, 47 minutes in. So I wanted to at least give some defense. I have just a couple defensive thoughts. Number one, most important, obviously, they played, they played well enough to win. Marv Harrison got his, but overall they played more than well enough to win. I think Ohio State ended up running for 42 times for like 79 yards. Like that's, that's good. Uh, Mayan Williams had a couple good runs, but besides like that one drive, they they did pretty well against it. Um, the defensive ends crushed all day. Like they did really well against the pass or, or against the offensive line of Ohio State. That Simmons left tackle for Ohio State, he's really not good. He's really bad. He was ha- he's basically having to hold an eye in the sudden Adisa Isaac the entire game. They called him once. They probably could have called it every play. Um. So D-line was good. I thought Zane Durant played well. I thought Devon Ellis played well. Beeman was a little um, – he, he walked himself out of play a couple times, but he also had some really good plays in the second half. Um, Daquan Hardy, Johnny Dixon played phenomenal. I thought the safeties played really well. And then Kalen King struggled. And um, he, Kalen King did – Kalen King probably lost a lot of money on Saturday, unfortunately. Just, just I don't know if it was fair, Sean, to put him in the slot. Not as comfortable probably playing out of the slot. I don't know that was their game plan going in, but um, he did not have his best day, unfortunately. But those are just my thoughts on. Oh, and one more thought: Abdul Carter did not have a good day, and I'll show some. I'll show one Abdul Carter play. Abdul Carter did not have a good day, um, and and pass defense and in run defense. But th- that's what I got for defense. Yeah, yeah. Um, just want to make one more note about Vanga. Um, He's going to be good. He's going to be good. Third string left guard. Just don't think he's ready for that. All right. So defense. Um, yeah. Chop going down was a bummer. It was. Uh, we only had two sacks. But again, sacks don't tell the whole story about what happened in the game. I do think they did a pretty good job keeping pressure on McCord. Made him uncomfortable at times. That was nice to see. Um uh, Devon Ellis, uh, I agree with you. Zane, I thought Zane Durant played really, really well, really well. Um, Curtis Jacobs had a good game. Uh, he seems to be like a big time performer. Uh, you know, when, when the lights are the brightest, he tends to step up. Uh, I thought, um, he, he, he you know, last year against Michigan, everybody struggled, but he, he did have the touchdown. So he did make a play. I thought DeLuca was pretty good. Uh, especially when called upon, I agree with the safeties had a had a very nice day, uh, and and it just sucks that it was wasted. You know, that this performance was wasted, um, but it was. And um, I want to mention too, yeah, like uh, I thought I know he got mossed pretty bad by Cade Stover, but Kobe King I thought actually played a really good game. Like he did some really good things in the run game, so I was happy with his performance. Um, I, the reason I thought of that was because Curtis Jacobs did get burned. He lost Cade Stover one time on that one time on that one long play that Cade Stover had. Um, but otherwise, yeah, Curtis Jacobs played pretty well. Um, yeah, I, we've talked about him before. Like, I think he's good. 
I think he will be excellent when like they just let if when he gets to the NFL and he can just kind of play downhill. Like I don't know if it's a true like I'm not saying like a Michael Parsons kind of, but more of a more of a three five kind of linebacker where he doesn't always have to be asked to play pass coverage all the time. Yeah, yeah. I I think he's an interesting prospect at the next level uh, because he's he's athletic. And he could do some, he could do a, a lot of good things, and he tends to uh, he tends to step up in big moments. Um, but yeah, so I think he's an interesting prospect at the next level. Cornerbacks, um, yeah, Daquan Hardy balled out, no question. Uh, it helped that Emeka Buka didn't play, um, but nonetheless, uh, the Carnell Tate kid, he's kind of the next one. Like next year, he's probably their one. So. We got acquainted with him. I thought we did a very good job on him overall. Very good job. Uh, Johnny Dixon, he was the one who actually looked like the first round corner, if you wanted to know the honest opinion. Um, physical, as he always is. Um, ran with Harvin, uh, Harvin, uh, Harrison at times. Um, you know, was in his hip pocket on one pass breakup. So he he had he had a good game. Um, and Kalen King... <sighs> I I was pretty disappointed with how he played, to be completely honest. He was the one part of the defense that I was really bummed out with. Um, And, you know, the thing with when you're playing against a guy like Marvin Harrison, okay, he's going to make some plays here and there. And you live with that. He's he's a great player. Uh, He might be the best player in America. But you want your guy to be able to make a play or two here and there. Um, especially if he's a first, excuse me, especially if he's projected to be a first round draft pick and Kalen King really didn't make any plays. I mean, he, he had the hold on the fumble that got called back, but that that's a negative play. I mean, but he, he just wasn't what we needed on Saturday. So that was disappointing, but I don't want to talk about the negatives too much about this uh, with this defense because they played well enough to win. You hold Ohio State 20 points at the shoe. You find a way to get the win. And we didn't do it. So see, that sucks. Uh, I see a lot of people on YouTube right now are talking about like trying to get Urban Meyer to come back to Penn State. Just awful idea for so many different reasons. But, um, yeah. There's got be be- to be better things to talk about on the YouTube chat. Than- I mean, that's isn't that what every fan base talks about? Like, Yeah. Sure, but it ain't Michigan happening. State right now, right? Michigan State, someone that wants him right now. Um, I think Michigan State should hire him. You ready to go to the film room? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, oh, special. I want to talk about special teams. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, Falcons, very good job. Very yeah. good. He did his job. I said he'd have to make a couple of field goals. He did. He delivered. I thought really Thompson punted very well. I was overall very happy with special teams. Daquan Hardy had that brain fart on the fair catch, but um, it cost us 20 yards. Who knows what happens if we get those 20 yards back. Um, But that was the only thing from special teams that was a negative. Again, I thought special teams played well enough to win the game as well. Right here. See if we can. Yeah, I agree with all that. They said that maybe there's an gust of wind and – Hardy didn't want to catch it over his shoulder, but yeah, they lost 25 yards there. And if he was positioned correctly, he could have probably returned that for another 15, 20 yards. So they would have started in Ohio State's territory. And honestly, 
a lot of people were wondering why Caden Saunders was starting at punt returner. Well, maybe that was why. All right. Here we go. We're on, we're on the big screen now. Oh, we look good. Yeah. Nice like that? Corey. Yeah. Um, all right. So I don't like this, though. No. So. This is towards the end of the first half. 59 seconds, third and 10. Really like what Drew Aller does here as far as making time for himself. Gets out of the pocket. Um, buys some time. Don't love that he throws it across his body, across the field. But he does have the arm to be able to do that. But Ohio State's bailing here. They're playing straight up cover three. And, I mean... I don't think the middle is actually open right away, but what what you'd like to see right now is for Drew Aller to come back to Keandre Lambert-Smith. There's a tight end that's coming to come down the field there, Theo Johnson. He never even gets close to ever being open. And so he does look back towards Keandre Lambert-Smith, but he looks deep to Trey Wallace, almost throws an interception. But Keandre Lambert-Smith is more than open here. Like, you're going to see in a second, like, there's there's a safety, but he's about 10 yards away from Keandre Lambert-Smith. If he just throws it right out of his chest, I mean, it, it's a it's a first down. Um, again, not his worst play in the sense that he bought some time and, you know, kept his head down in the field. But, man, you would like to hit that wide-open guy um, in Keandre Lambert-Smith, maybe even s- steal a field goal before halftime. Yeah, and like Corey said, when you're throwing across your body, well, at least try to hit the open guy. And instead, he goes deep to Wallace, who's pretty well covered, and it really should have been picked off. Um, it almost looked like the safety for Ohio State went after the ball half-heartedly. So it should have been picked off, but Lambert Smith was open, and you got to be able you, when when you're looking that way, you got to be able to see that half-heartedly. Is that a pun there? Say that again. Hardly. Oh, it's like Daquan. I like it. Like that? Okay, Sean, this is one that hurt my soul and probably hurt your soul too when I showed it to you. Um, Ohio State, you can see here, they're playing like suspiciously. Or, I'm sorry, let me start this over. So Ohio State's got the ball third and four. Um, Penn State for a third and four suspiciously backed off of the receivers here, right? Like, they know what the down and distance is? Like, why are you this far off? Well, the reason they're far off is because they're going to try to rob these slant routes. Uh, Manny Diaz tried to do this last year against them, too. And it's not the worst idea. So, Kalen King plays way off of Marvin Harrison Jr., who's at the bottom of your screen. And, again, not a bad idea if you rob correctly. And you can see the linebackers bail. So, now you've got everything covered underneath. But Abdul Carter... Is that in? Is that outside linebacker right there? Kind of his uh, his head's towards us right now. He is supposed to rob Marvin Harrison's slant route. Curtis Jacobs, who's right next to him, is supposed to keep an eye on Cade Stover, and everything's covered. Unfortunately, Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs decided to fart in the same Coke bottle. Neither of them gets to where they're supposed. Well, Curtis Jacobs gets where he's supposed to be. Abdul Carter does not get where he's supposed to be. It's an easy pitch and catch for Ohio State. And you know, if you're watching at home, you're probably like, what the heck are we doing? Well, if Abdul Carter gets to where he's going, look at Kate, look at Kate, look at uh, McCord's eyes. It never goes off of Marvin Harrison. 
And they never he never looks anywhere else. If Abdul Carter gets there and now, this is a pick six. I mean, it's not even close. It is a 100% pick six. And he never gets to where he's supposed to be. And it's just one of those ones where it's not the end of the world. But when you watch it in film, you're like, oh, that was a big missed opportunity. You know, Manny Diaz is disappointed with it. Yeah, watching the game live, you got the feeling that 10-6, it almost felt like 20-6. to yeah, and we could have really used a defensive touchdown. Yeah, that was not that was a total missed opportunity um, by Abdul Carter in pass coverage. And uh, and they did bring they did bring Johnny Dixon on that blitz, which he yeah, almost got, he had he a, almost he got a home again. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he's got a knack for it, man. Um, but yeah, that that one was a little bit disappointing. Um. Dottam said, do you think that Kayla should have sat down? Yes, he should have sat. He should not have started running upfield. You're 100% correct. But he was sitting there for quite some time as well. So, like, yes to both. Like, he should have sat there longer. Maybe Aller season, but I think Aller was already kind of looking deep. I think his mind was already made up. I think the clock had run out in his head. He was going to release that football. I don't know if he ever even looks at Keandre. I don't think he knows where Keandre Lambert-Smith even is, whether he's running or whether he's still... Maybe he needs to throw his hands up in the air more. Um, but yeah, Sean, I mean, just think about this. If they get this pick six here, they go up 13 to 10. I think Ohio State probably could score again, but does what does that just do? How does that maybe change like Ohio State having to play from behind now? Like that that can change the complete complexity of the game. So I wanted to show that one. One of the few things that the defense did wrong. Um, I wanted to show um there's there's just some bad plays by Drew Aller here, and I'm gonna show some of them. Um this is on the fourth and three. Or this is on the third and three, excuse me. So third and three, seven minutes left in the game, starting to become crunch time a little bit. And Ohio State's going to run two high safeties, which basically means, yeah, this is the one I wanted to talk about. Sorry. So why this place thinks so much is, I don't know at this point, Drew Aller is worried about pressure but the offensive line does a fantastic job i mean you can't ask for a better pocket at this point in the game and he leaves the pocket early nothing's telling him to leave the pocket early if he just stays in this pocket watch theo johnson who's at the top of your screen one-on-one of this this safety boom he's open right then and there can't see it on this screen, but he's he's open right then and there. He throws late because he tried to run out of the pocket. He, he's right there. Um, yeah, just you, you stay in the pocket, you make that throw, and that's disappointing. Let's go to that fourth and three, Sean, on the same exact. I want to say this is the exact same. Yeah, so this is a fourth and three now, same same series. So fourth and three. Yeah, now they got single high safety. They're playing man across the board. They did this a lot on, on third and fourth and short. And this time, he has Johnson open again. And he's not even trying to throw him the football. He's actually going to try to go over the top to Keandre Lambert-Smith. If he just steps up in the pocket here, he's got Theo Johnson open over the middle of the field right now. 
Like, I know that isn't a lot of separation, but Johnson's a big guy. You just get him the football, throw it to where his guy can get it. He'll make that play. And I know people are like, oh, well, JTT was right there, and JTT made the play. Olu doesn't, like, it's not his best job, but this is not an awful job by Olu, especially at this point in the game. He's had to block JTT a lot of this game. Drew Aller's got to step up in the pocket here a little bit and make this throw to Theo Johnson. So disappointing, a third and three and a fourth and three back-to-back plays where Drew Aller really just didn't make a play for his team. Yeah, and on the third and three, one of the things Drew has done well since he started has been feeling the pocket. He does not feel the pocket well there. And again, something he doesn't do well consistently um, here we go again, steps into, um, away from the pocket for no reason. Again, right. I'll tell you right when he needs to throw the ball here. Yeah. Here. Yeah. As soon as Theo's coming out of his break, that ball has to be there. He's got the size advantage uh, on the corner. That's gotta be there. And I wish you guys could see safety. Excuse me. Like, it's just not. It's not out there in time. And not everybody's going to run wide open when you're playing Ohio State and Michigan. That's not the way this works. These guys are really freaking good. This is not UMass where guys are just going to be running wide open constantly. So he's got to know that and trust his arm enough to get that ball out there. And it's just he waits to he leaves the pocket for no reason and he throws it too late. So, I mean, I want to show um, no bueno, no bueno. This one is later in the game. This is actually technically in mop up duty, but yet again, third down, third and short. It's like third and two. I know it hasn't popped up yet, but it's like third and two. And Another low snap. Yeah, that was that was a common theme. Constant. They're gonna run these, you know, this mesh concept. Caden Saunders sits, they're in zone, so that's technically the right thing to do. I don't really care. Throw it to either one of these guys. Why is the ball not coming out right now to Caden Saunders or to Keandre Lambert-Smith? Like, they just gave you the first down. Now, Keandre Lambert-Smith, he does drift in and and makes this harder. But the ball should already be out to Caden Saunders or to Keandre Lambert-Smith. He now throws this ball so late. And then Keandre Lambert-Smith, again, drifted a little bit, probably should have cut up field, but I mean, again, this at this point the game's already over. But why are we not throwing this ball right then and there? Like this ball needs to come out immediately. Yeah. And 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 we've seen that time and time again. And and that that was the glaring one to me, Sean. Where I was like, uh, why did that ball not come out? Yeah, yeah. Again, timing. Yeah, I I don't know why Keandre Lambert Smith. He he. I I don't know why he ran. <laughs> I don't know why he ran that route like that. Uh, but again, if he just they're right in front. They're right in front of you. You just pick one. <laughs> uh, and Ohio State's letting you have that. They're in a quasi prevent defense at that point. Just get it to your guys. And I mean, credit to Drew on that drive. He was very good that drive. Um, maybe it's because he let it loose a little bit. Um, you see what happens when you don't play tight. <laughs> but um, yeah. Oops, not the one I wanted to show here. I wanted to show this one. I don't even want to like tell you anything more than I, I want you guys to see this. I want you guys to see this play. So when we go to the next play, you understand why Mike Yersich did what he did. So third and two, and they're going to run the ball. 
Now, Ohio State, I mean, look at them all. They're all blitzing. They've got one-on-one on the outside. I mean, they've sent the house. They've, they've sent eight people. Engage eight. Vega Ione does not get to that guy. It's blown up. No chance. No chance, no chance, no chance. You can say you can balance the outside. Probably not against Ohio State's uh, defense. Like, you're probably not going to get going. Um, so I want you to see that because everyone's mad about Mike Gersich. Why aren't we running the ball on third and two? Well, look what happened in the third quarter, third and two. Because now let's go to the play that really upsets me and I think could have been at least the first down, if not a touchdown. And that is this play right here. All right. So now third and one, a little bit later in the third quarter. They are Ohio State again is going to send the house. Look at them. They're all coming. And they actually didn't fully blitz this time. But, I mean, it doesn't matter. Look at the amount of steps they took. I mean, that's more than just a read step. And what does Penn State do? They they actually run the fake. They throw this little whatever you want to call it, swing route, whatever. You see Ty Warren there is blocking. They've ran this play multiple times. I thought the people were like, oh, they've never ran this before. They ran this little screen to Singleton all the time. If you remember, Sean, this screen was actually – the call for offensive pass interference against Michigan last year. Similar concept. So they run this, and Singleton drops it. Now, two two or three things here. First one, I think Cade Wallace probably needs to block Jack Sawyer a little bit better to keep that throwing lane open. Two, I would like to see Nick Singleton get a little bit more depth on this. I know it's hard from where his position was, but that's not a great angle. And he doesn't give himself much of a window. But the throw is definitely behind him, but still got to be caught. And if he catches this clean right now, I am taking Nick Singleton. I think that's ransom. I'm taking Nick Singleton to pick up this first down, if not a touchdown. It's one-on-one to the end zone. And he's got, what, 15 yards to the boundary he can still go if he needs to? Like, there's no reason he doesn't get the first down, let alone the touchdown here. One missed tackle, and he's gone. Um, and again, he kind of has the angle there, but then he befuddles it, and now it's a different story. Um, that to me was a good example. People are like, oh, Mike Gersich was getting cute. No, Mike Gersich got blown up earlier in the quarter on third down, so now he gets creative, and his team can't execute. Yeah, yeah. This is what I wanted. This is what I was talking about that I want to see more of. Get your guys out in space and have them make a play. And this is a good example. Now, like you said, Wallace doesn't do a great job on Sawyer. Uh, so I think that's why the pass is a little bit behind Singleton because yeah. Drew was trying to fit it in. So really, upon watching it like closely, I could understand why I was behind him. But Nick's got to catch that ball. That's a right. big moment in the game. And you, you got to get it done. Uh, it's a catchable pass. Again, not it's not right in his breadbasket or anything. But it's catchable, and you got to make the play. Um, and I want to see more of that. I know it didn't work, but I want to see more of that as the season goes on. That's one way that I think this offense could get fixed. I just want to show people again that are watching the difference between early on and later on. So this is when – oops, wrong one. That's a good example, too, of Singleton getting stuffed. But um, I want to show – I think it's this one. Yeah. So I want to show this again. Look how this defense is. Look how they're aligned. I don't even care about the play. Now, look at 
how they were aligned in the first half. When Penn State was running the ball well. Look where their safeties are. Look where the linebackers and their posture is. No wonder they were able to run the ball better. Look, you got maybe four. You got five guys in the box. Look at that linebacker on the outside there. I think that's Ransom again, the safety. Look where he is. He's not like super focused on the run yet. Everyone's a little bit more hesitant. They're not coming downhill nearly as fast. Look where the safeties are still. That's why you had so much success compared to what you saw in the second half. Like, they didn't abandon the run. They had to do something different because Ohio State had adapted. So I wanted to show the difference there. Sean, do you want to end on a positive note, or do you want to end on another disappointing note? I just want to comment on this. So, And then we could end on a positive. Um, okay. So, I, you know, this, this comes back to complimentary football, guys. So Drew Aller is not making anything happen in the passing game, and neither is the receivers. Receivers overall didn't do a good enough job getting open either, not to, not absolving them on this. They didn't have a good game. This is, comes back to complimentary football. So there we go. We're able to run the ball. And then they start cheating up against the line. They're daring us to beat them throwing the ball, and we can't do it. So... And then it starts affecting the run game. And then suddenly the offense can't do anything after halftime. So yeah. that's what happened. Yeah, this is another example, too. This is actually a bad job by the offensive line. They don't pick up the stunt very well. But I still think he hits Dante Sivas here in rhythm. And Dante Sivas picks up that first down right there on that slant route. Like, that's a, that's a, he catches that. He leads it a little bit down the middle of the field. No one's in the middle of the field. He catches that. He's he's probably going to pick up the first down. If he has more time, which uh -huh. the offense line wasn't great on this play, but if he has more time, Sean, it's a touchdown. Because who you see running open is Keandre Lambert-Smith. He is open right now. Now, yeah. they didn't have, he didn't have enough time on that play. But I think Dante Stevens is able to catch that on a good throw. That's, that's what Dante Stevens did at Kent State. Catch slant passes and take it in the big games. Um, all right, positive note, you said. Let's go to um, the goal line stop. If I can. Goal line. I have the fourth down one. Where's the third down play? Third down play was, was that I think it was Don DeLuca got in there. I don't know how I labeled it. Hmm. There it is. All right. Third and goal. If Ohio State scores, the game's probably over, right? Touchdown ends it. Defense is back as far as they could, as far as they can, back against the wall. I love how they, they set up here. I mean, all those guys to the right side, Penn State doesn't care. They're like, we're going to stuff the A gap. We're going to stuff the B gap because we don't think you're actually running the outside. And that's exactly what they do. But what impresses me is both Dom DeLuca and Zaki Wheatley, like hot knife through butter, slice through those tight ends and actually are the ones that make the play. So watch this. I mean, you cannot, like Dom DeLuca... You cannot ask for a guy to fight down the line any better than that. He engages, he fights, and he he doesn't get too far downfield 
And then he blows up Mayan Williams, who's a big back, big athletic back. And Dom DeLuca just stuffs him. And Zaki Wheatley finishes off the job really well, too. But, I mean, good job by the guys on the inside to not let a big push up. But then Dom DeLuca just hot knife through butter and Zaki Wheatley finishes off. This was fan- fantastic. Um, I want to go to the, the fourth down play and show you this one. So Ohio State probably probably should have just kicked the field goal, made a seven-point game. But So they're going to have this little bunch near side set here. I don't love that at all as far as not spreading out Penn State. Um, and they all know where this ball is going to go. Nobody goes to the fake. It's a good throw, actually, as far as ball placement. But look at how they rallied over there. Zaki Wheatley, Jalen Reed. I mean, we talked all week about how they were ready for the bubble screens and the wide receiver screens, and they made me look really smart because, I mean, you can't cover that any better. Wheatley, Reed, flowing through the football, and then when you get there, make your presence felt. So really good job there. Um, just just fantastic job. And then that was like like – that was the defense just pleading with the offense. We're doing everything we can. Just get us, get us some points. Um, just really impressed. Really impressed by that entire series by the yeah. defense. Yeah, that was such a gutsy, gutsy stand by this defense. And, I mean, guys, you have one of the best defenses in America. Um, I don't know if it's the best, but it's top, it's top three or four. I mean, just the hustle. And it's not just the superstars either. It's Dom DeLuca. It's Zaki Wheatley. It's Jalen Reed. I mean, everybody's involved. They play so well together as a unit, and they're really fun to watch. And the big question going into this game was, well, okay, are they going to do against Ohio State? And they they held them 20 points on the road. And that is a hard thing to do. And, yeah, okay, Marvin Harrison Jr. had a day. He did. But 20 points is 20 points. And if you hold the team to 20 points... Uh, that has the um, capability of an Ohio State, especially considering they're on the field the whole second half. They are they are never leaving the field because the offense can't do jack poop with the ball. So, I mean, you got to be really, really proud of the way that defense came through. You ready for some fan questions? You know, the takes are hot. Yeah, we got a lot of fan questions again. Thank you so much at Hardcore PSUFB. It's where you can drop them off. Uh, um, first question from for the vloggy. What midseason narrative storyline surrounding this team did you never in a million years envision being a narrative storyline back in August? Great question from our friends at for the vloggy. The answer for me, Sean, is very simple. Drew Aller struggling more than I thought he would. Uh, didn't think he was going to be a Heisman finalist in year one, but I didn't think that they would lose the game to Ohio State because of him and because, and not even because he didn't have a turnover. Like, if he would have went out reckless, abandoned, had like four picks, like, okay, you learn from it. But to lose to Ohio State because of him, and, and again, not just because of him, but and he didn't even have a turnover, that to me is like rut row. And so 
we, I think we assumed maybe the passing game wasn't going to be there because of the receivers. But I think the fact that we're turning our attention to Aller on October 23rd is is something I didn't expect to in August. Yeah, Drew was a great answer. Uh, I'm going to go with the run game. I thought this run game was going to be a lot better than it was. Um, I thought the offensive line, I knew they'd miss, I knew they'd miss juice, which they do. But I thought those other guys were going to be ready to step up and be and be better on the offensive line. And I don't think they've been bad, but I thought it was going to be a better line than last year. And um, so far, it's probably about the same. And in, in, in my view, um, yeah, maybe the a little pa- better in passing, pass pro. passing yeah. probably a maybe little a better. little better in pass pro running. Um, I, yeah, I would agree. Not but as good. Just just like Nick Singleton, all of a sudden, there's no explosion anymore and that's who nick singleton is and it's just very weird that all of a sudden he's just not an explosive runner anymore to me that's the most confusing thing you know in the in in august when we were hearing about drew not having a turnover or not having an interception through 13 or 14 practices that's what I had an idea. All right. Well, he's probably pretty conservative with the ball. I didn't think he'd be Ted Cruz level conservative with the ball, but I knew he was going to be careful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought he'd be better too, guys. But right now he's got a he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, that that's a good point about yeah. And, and remember, like as far as the run game, like they lost Landon Tangwall right before the season started. That didn't help things either. Um yeah. Very good point. All right, next question here. Why is Dante Sebus not playing? Um, I could just show the play real quick on why he's not playing. I think I have that one, actually. Might be the easiest way to do it. Um, the, the, the quick answer to this is he doesn't know the plays. Or at least he doesn't know all the plays. And if you don't know all the plays, it's kind of hard to to keep you out there. I think he's done some really good things at times, but he also had that one game where he really struggled to catch the football. So does he make, like there was an argument or a question, like if he arrived early in the spring, would it be, would it have been a different game? Like, I don't, I don't think so. Like Dante Sebus is good, but he's not Marvin Harrison and that's nobody else is. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Sebus is good. I think Sebus is a, is a good potential number two to be honest with you but um i think he comes back next season doesn't he i don't know that for sure i think he has another year of eligibility um yeah i agree with a lot of what Corey said um it seems most uh, one thing about drew the miscommunications really don't happen with anybody else except cephas so a process of elimination it's probably that's probably on Cephas. yeah but, but they have I think the throw to Trey Walls didn't seem like Trey Walls was even going to look for the ball. Which he one? had a throw to Keandre Lambert-Smith where he wasn't even close to Keandre Lambert-Smith on that little comeback route. I think that was just a bad throw. Yeah, it's possible. I Yeah, when I first saw that, I didn't think miscommunication. I thought Drew didn't. It just wasn't close. Was yeah. Um, uh, uh, I think uh, another question I'd have is, why why did we only play four receivers to the last drive on Saturday? That puzzled me. And most it was mostly Harrison Wallace and uh and Keandre Lambert Smith that played. And that's because we ran a lot of 12 personnel. That's who we've been all year. And okay, 
but the only other guys they played were Liam Clifford and Dante Cephas, and Liam Clifford is limited, and he kind of showed that in the game. I, he did not have a good game. Um, and and Cephas, uh, we, we just talked about him. But like, where's Malik McClain at? Like, Malik McClain just doesn't play anymore. Um, yeah. And then Caden Saunders, every time he comes in, he makes something happen. I, I, I don't understand why he's not playing more. So that's another thing that's puzzling to me, and I think that's a question for James Franklin and Marquise Higgins. Yeah, Malik McLean one's an interesting one. All right, this one's going to get people rowdy in the YouTube comments. Let us know what your guys' thoughts are on this one. This is from a longtime listener, Dorito Bandit. Franklin has done a lot of good for State College, and I appreciate it. But if Penn State wants to compete for national championships, at what point do we might start thinking about searching for a coach that will get us there? And I understand this question 100%, Sean. I really do. The way I put it is, and I think I said this to J.D. Lowe on Twitter, uh, purgatory, right? You are there, but you are not there. And you're seeing everyone else get to go, and, and you're kind of waiting your turn. I, and I texted you this, Sean, today. We are the best non-playoff team in America. And that's just a fact. The question is, the wager, if you will, is this. Do you wager 10 and 2 seasons with a chance at maybe getting to the playoff? And I guess next year, maybe to the second round of the playoff. For an opportunity to maybe get more. Do you trade that in to maybe get more, but you're risking losing that 10 and 2? And to me, I don't think you do. And that stinks. Like, if I knew for sure, if you told me right now, James Franklin will never, the rest of his career, never make the national championship, okay, fine, then I'm going to risk it. But we don't definitively know that. We don't know how that works. But I understand completely. It's it's frustrating. I'm with you. It, it, it's, it's a great question. Um, and a coach that I think James Franklin is a lot like is Mark Richt. So Mark Richt was George's coach pre-Kirby Smart. And Mark Richt was a very good coach. Won a lot of games at Georgia. He he, he had a good year with Miami. Uh, Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator. Um, but he had trouble beating Florida. He had trouble winning the big game. And Georgia was very good during his tenure. They didn't have a lot of bad years. They fired him after a 9-3 and three season. So it's not unheard of to let a guy go and get an upgrade as a coach. Now, um, not Kurt, uh, Mark Rick was the head coach at Georgia for 15 seasons. So he had a he had five, uh, five or six. I think this is year 10 with Franklin. He, yeah, uh, he had five more seasons than Franklin had before they finally got rid of him. And we all know Georgia football, their fans, they're rowdy. They, they literally bark at opposing fans like they're the pen. I I'd wager to say Penn State fans have more patience than Georgia fans. So they gave him a long time. So do I think in my heart of hearts and my one pledge with you is to always be honest. I owe, I owe you the people who listen to us that 
Do I think we're going to win a national championship with James Franklin? No, because he's given me no reason to think that we could beat these elite teams that we need to to win it. I mean, we haven't beaten Ohio State in so long. And when is he finally going to beat a team he's quote unquote not supposed to beat? When's it going to happen? And don't tell me 2016. I don't want to hear about 2016. I don't want to hear about 1916. In the last five years, he just, or six years, he just doesn't do it. And we win a lot of games, and that's great. And we're we're probably going to beat Indiana by 40 this week. But ultimately, your success in the coaching industry is based on how you do against the best teams. That's what you're judged on. You're judged on winning championships and getting it done against the best teams on your schedule. Not the worst teams, the best teams. That's what you're judged by. And James Franklin has not done that. And it's frustrating because he's a great guy and he's a really good coach. He's not a bad coach. He's not Charlie Weiss. He's not Willie Taggart. He's a good coach. But good might just not be enough. And I hope he shows me something in these next few years to make me think different. I'm not calling for him to be canned. I want to make that very, very clear with everybody. You got to start getting it done, James. Got to start getting it done. Or my tune will change within the next few years. And really, guys, if you wanted to fire him anyway, he has like a bazillion dollar gazillion dollar buyout. So it's not happening. At least for a few years. Yeah, and I think, too, like, the fans that are frustrated, I understand it. But acting like the season's already over. Now, I get it. Michigan, they don't match up better with Michigan, but they do get them at home. And they do have time to fix some of the things that they now know they didn't know before then. And it's not like Michigan out-athletes them everywhere. Like, recruiting-wise, they're about even. Actually, Penn State, I think, is a little bit ahead. So. It's not like they won't have the athletes to compete, but there's there's nothing out of that Ohio State game execution-wise that makes you feel good about that game right now, and I understand that. But to act like James Franklin, and I'm not saying Sean, you're not saying this, but other people are, like he doesn't have an opportunity right in front of him in a month. Like It's right there. Like He has the chance to still make this okay. 100%. 100%. Or not even okay, really good. So I think I, I like these questions. I think they're important ones. I just think it's... It's a little early for that. Ask me again on November 12th, day after the Michigan game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 100%. He has a chance, and weird things happen at the beef, so you never know. But, ugh. All right, this was just, this wasn't even actually a real question, but I loved it so much I had to put it in here. Sir Mark Thomas, um, insert sarcasm. Do you think Mike Gersich and James Franklin are keeping things vanilla on purpose to not put too much on tape for Michigan. So all, all like the last month, people kept trying to tell Sean and I that the reason the offense hasn't been very good is because they didn't want to put too much on tape for Ohio State. And we were like, no, like these are legitimate concerns that we have. And people are like, oh, no, no, no. We were just like, people don't leave this so much stuff under their sleeves. Like they are not moving the ball very well. And and anyway, this is just really funny. So we we appreciate that, Mark. Also, Thomas. Corey. Uh, first off, I do love the question. The question: Does this bowl rule package really exist? Is this real or is it gamesmanship? 
I mean, they have plays. Like, there's no reason why Bo Verbilla could. Well, I don't know what they mean by package anymore. Because like, they I mean, mean, we probably could have used it once or twice on Saturday. Like, do you use Bo Verbilla as like a like? Is there a package, or is it just Bo Verbilla comes into the same offense and just runs up the middle? Like, or do they have a T formation like full house? Like, uh, you put in two tight ends, like in the H back set and he just snaps it and runs right for like Will Levis. I don't know. Um, uh, Dadum says I was one of them. I apologize. <laughs> uh, regarding the, sar- the the sarcastic comment. Um, one more funny question. This is from lumber Jake. What's worse, the Penn State offense or the ordering system out the creamery? And if people don't understand this joke, I'm I want to go, go on a little bit of a soapbox because there's two things that like are stupid about it. First of all, you order your ice cream and then you just go into the ice cream line. And you then like whenever someone's ready, they just ask you what you want and then they make it and then they yell it out. That's stupid. Secondly, Sean, have you ever got a milkshake from the creamery before? Yes, I have. The milkshakes are ridiculous. If you order a chocolate milkshake, they say wait at the very end. So you go over and you wait at the very end. And then the the milkshake person just yells chocolate milkshake. And whoever gets to the counter first, they get their chocolate milkshake. I, I shit you not. I have been in line and three people have stole my milkshake while I was standing there. And I wasn't like way off on my phone. Like I was literally like trying to get because you want to get out of the way of everyone else that's just getting ice cream. And three people stole my, I'm like, one person had, had just ordered a chocolate shake. And then one was a chocolate shake. And they were like, oh, that, mine's already ready. But they hadn't even scooped your ice cream yet. What makes you think it's your milkshake? So, no, like, the ordering system, way worse than Penn State's offense. Because in my mind, Penn State's offense failed to execute. I think the, the scheme was okay. They just failed to execute. The creamery doesn't even have the right scheme right now. Like they are executing poorly for what they're doing, but right now they're not even they're not even being asked to do the right thing. So it's not even right close. Ferent scheme. It's awful. I mean, it's awful. Yeah. It, it. It. And you know something? Like if if people get like confused, like I remember my first few times there, the the workers tend to look at you like you're an idiot if you don't understand the ridiculous system that they have. And, yeah. And, um, and there's so and many yeah. things, dude. Yeah, and, and it's a conf- if you've ever been there, it's a confined area. It's this very small area between the the the, um, the front counter and like they have a bunch of snacks right uh, about I don't know ten feet away, and you're all huddled up in this little area. So yeah, I would go with the creamery as well. Just get a ticket system like everyone else in the world. Um, Sean, I'm going to let you answer this question because I know you will, you, you will get fired up over this one. Uh, question here from Derek is nine and three acceptable for this season. No, no. I mean, th- we have maybe the best defense in the country. You don't go nine and three and look at the schedule. First off, we already beat the third best team on our schedule, who I think by process of elimination, West Virginia, uh, maybe Iowa. I, I, w- I would go West Virginia. If they were playing a game tomorrow, I'd pick West Virginia to beat them. Um, so we already beat them, and we beat them handedly. So, yeah, you don't go and lose to Maryland. 
first off, I'm going to look like an idiot if we lose to Maryland. And Maryland fans will have every right to chirp at the big fat guy from Scranton for hating on Maryland for two years. Um, and they'll have every right to do so. But um, no, you don't go nine and three when you have, you know, um, when they're playing well. OK, offense when they're playing well uh, and they're doing their thing and, and they tend to do it against lesser teams. They tend to be able to move the ball a little bit better. And an elite defense, you don't do you don't go nine and three against the schedule. No way. No, how not acceptable in the least. No. Sean, I didn't realize that we had a former top 2000 quarterback recruit in our mix. Dead on 22. I don't know who that is, but thanks for being here. Did he play play in college? I I don't know. Um, Thanks for everyone on YouTube tonight. You guys have been very lively, which we expected you guys to be. Uh, I got two more questions here. And I think this is something that Chris Hale is kind of talking about a little bit. He's talking in chat about receivers and getting involved. This question is from Nittany Pete. What is going? What is it going to take to get weapons like Marvin Harrison Jr., Xavier Worthy, Keon Coleman, someone who's reliably going to make the play when targeted and make the play when needed? Great question. I think first of all, Sean. Very good question. They've had that before, and like you've had a Jahan Dotson like not that long ago, KJ Hamler to a slightly lesser degree, but still. You've had, you know, Chris Godwin and Deshaun Hamilton. Like you, you had those Allen Robbins. Like you had a lot of those guys compared to a lot of the other positions that Penn State's lacked. But yeah, they don't have one currently, or at least we haven't seen one yet on the roster to pop up. But I mean, they've had some really good receivers to, to make those plays. Um, and I think Keandre Lambert Smith. Could be that guy. He hasn't really been given that many opportunities. You know, that throw that Drew Aller had, like that one-on-one deep ball on the sideline that Penn State fans wanted a, a defensive pass interference for, I was like, no, like that was just a, a really bad throw. Like, if Drew Aller actually gets a hold of that thing, and I think there was a little bit of wind, but if he throws that where it's supposed to be, Keontae Lambert-Smith actually has a step on that guy. And it's going to be an interesting play. That ball's on the right side of his shoulder towards the numbers over there. Like, that that could have been caught. And that ball was not where it needed to be in any capacity. But I think Keandre Lambert-Smith, he, well, first of all, he has made those plays. He has been that guy before. Um, there's no reason he can't do it again. But, I mean, you got to give him chances. And besides slant routes and little comeback routes, there was another throw, Sean, that Drew decided not to throw. One-on-one, KLS landed up in the slot, just kind of a wheel fade route to the corner. Drew Allen never even considered throwing it to him. And, like, you just want to let your one-on-one guys, let your best players go win you a couple balls. Yeah, yeah, it's about trusting what you have because it's not like we have um, Iowa's wide receivers here. I mean, they're, they're a good group. Now, again, question for the night. Is good good enough? I, I don't think it is, because do we have a Marvin Harrison? No. Do we have a Keon Coleman? No, we don't. Um, and to answer the question, because I think it's a good one. 
part of it goes back to NIL. And there were guys available in the portal. Um, You might have heard of a Jimmy Horn Jr. We talked about him uh, back when he was transferring from South Florida. And we said, this guy's really good. This guy is a baller. Went out to Colorado. He's playing with the fighting Dions. He's lighting it up. I mean, you know, Colorado's not very good. But they got weapons. They have players. And he's one of them. And we could really use a guy like Jimmy Horn Jr. in this offense. Um, but it's going to take NIL. It's going to take being able to um, to pay, to be able to pay for some of these guys uh, to get a guy who, uh, although I think USC tampered, I was going to say Jordan Addison if he becomes available in the portal. Uh, Keon Coleman was in the portal. So a lot of it's going to come down to NIL and just recruiting better. Part of the reason Taylor Stubblefield is not here anymore is because he didn't recruit well enough. Now, I do like the receivers we have coming in this class. Maybe one of these guys are ready to play next year because we might we might need them as true freshmen. And Penn State historically has had success with true freshman wide receivers. Go back to the Smurfs back in 2005. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, everybody wanted Dante Cephas, too. Like, he wasn't like maybe 1A, but he was like he 1B. Like, people were pretty excited to get Dante Cephas, and he wasn't Keon Coleman. He wasn't, you know, they wanted maybe Caden Prather before him. Um, His teammate, too, Tez Walker. Who's the guy that went to, uh, from Oregon down to, Um, I can remember, but. We recruit, Thornton. Thornton, nice. Dante Thornton. Dante Thornton, yeah. So just, I mean, that's what it is. You, you go to battle with who you have. And I think the guys they've gotten to battle with can do better than what they've done, too. You know what I mean? Again, I'll go back to it. I'll beat this all day, Sean. The offense executed worse than I think they like could have imagined. Like, if they play this game against Ohio State 10 times, like, that's probably the worst they're going to play. Like, it was it was really bad. So doesn't yeah, make it, I mean, it doesn't make you feel any better, but... Hopefully it's the worst we play this year. Yeah, we thought maybe that first half of Northwestern was going to be the worst they played. No. Yeah, I mean, you statistically, it is statistically impressive to do that bad on third down. Especially the average third down before mop-up duty was third and six. So it wasn't even, like, outrageous. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to go back down that rabbit hole. But uh, <laughs> last question. And I think this is a good way to transition us out of Ohio State. And so this is a good question. From Copic. Do you see this offense doing anything against Michigan? And if not, where do you see them improving before November 11th to be somewhat competitive? Love this question. Thank you for it. Good way to wrap up the show. Sean, I'll let you go first. <laughs> um, I mean, like I said, I think maybe you could get the ball to your athletes more in space. And not just, um, <clears throat> not just uh, Singleton and Allen either. I mean, where were the bubble screens on Saturday? And the bubble screens, they're, they're a terrific way to be able to get your quarterback into a groove. Maybe more of those. Um, so swing passes. But overall, guys, I got to be honest with you. I think Drew Aller has some problems that can't be fixed within a month. And it's hard to fix anticipation. It's hard to fix um, ball placement. Like, that stuff takes years, really, to fix. And 
It's possible it's improved by next season, but it's hard to say. Now, I, I guess one positive is Jarelli does play a lot better at home. Now, I'm not going to tell you he's Patrick Mahomes at home. He's not. He's still he hasn't had a, a game for over 200 yards in a month. Uh, but he runs the offense a lot more efficiently at home, including against Iowa. And Iowa, as bad as they are in offense, they do have a good defense. Now, that defense was on the field for about 55 out of 60 minutes when we played them. But still, he looked good that night. He looked efficient. The ball was where it needed to be. And it's not like he got all of his points in the fourth quarter. No, he played well throughout it. So um, maybe being at home, maybe that makes Drew more comfortable. And also just finding different ways to get the athletes out in space. But overall, I still think it's a it is a tough, tough, it is a tough, tough climb to be able to beat Michigan this year. Yeah, I, I will stick with Aller too. Um and, and say that's what's gotta improve. I will say this we know Penn State can beat Indiana, and I think we all know that Penn State should beat Maryland too. But if they beat Indiana and they beat Maryland by 40 and they just run the ball and they do what they did against Iowa or Illinois or Northwestern and they don't get Drew Aller any better, then there's no reason to expect the offense is going to struggle mightily against Michigan. So I look at these next two games and I'm like, you have a great opportunity. I don't care if you win these games by five points. Find a way to get Drew Aller some serious reps. Throw the ball 40-plus times. I don't care. Let the receivers eat or die trying because you are not going to beat Michigan and you're not going to achieve your goals anyway. So you might as well learn and get better and do something that's actually going to improve your team for that matchup instead of just running the ball 30 times, winning the game 40-0 to zero and saying, oh, yeah, we're ready for Michigan now. No, you're not. No, you're not. So I, I'm all like, hey, let's throw the ball 40-plus times. Because here's the thing, Sean, and I'll wrap my, my whole episode up here with this, right? Drew Aller, when he comes into the game against Michigan, is going to be able to – going to need to have the ability to throw the ball down the field and in the middle of the field to win the game. So whatever you have to do to make that happen in the next two weeks, you got to make it happen. Otherwise, you might as well start Bo Prabula because, again, at least he can stretch plays horizontally. He, at least he can put stress on the defense and the linebackers with his legs. Drew Aller is not going to be that Sean Clover, Trace McSorley type. Like He's got to make plays with his arm, and he really hasn't even tried enough. So, Sean, I'm like, send it against Indiana. Send it against Maryland. 40-plus passing attempts, just five wide every play. I don't care if you go three and out, but you gotta, you, you, you can't just use the running game crutch to, to, for the rest of the year. You, you gotta get the passing game better before Michigan, or you're not gonna win. Would you say throw it up no matter what? Chuck it. <laughs> Chuck it. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, I hear what you're saying, though. And that was part of what was frustrating going into this game. Like, we just weren't throwing across the middle. And we were saying at the time, this is your time to make a mistake. And I said before the UMass game, I would much rather him make make a mistake against UMass, maybe even throw an interception than 
against Ohio State. Now, I'll give him this. He didn't throw an interception against Ohio State, but he played about as bad as he could without throwing an interception. And um, it it just it's not going to get it done. And I agree with you. I think they have to try to air it out these next two weeks because they're going to beat Indiana. Uh, Maryland, you're a little more you're a little more concerned about, but they've already started to go full Maryland, losing to Illinois. Wait a second, breaking news about Maryland. <laughs> they oh. already they just won full Maryland even more. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, their current offensive coordinator, former A and M coach, just got arrested for DUI on Saturday. Oh, jeez. And he was in Florida on Saturday. Did they have a bye week? They yeah, they didn't play this week. He's in Florida getting a DUI. Come on, dude. <laughs> so they're already um, turning to Maryland. Yeah, that that's just another distraction. Again, it's Maryland. Sorry um, for interrupting you. No, no, no. That's that's some interesting news. Um, also for Michigan, uh, we better t- take a good look at who's buying tickets, and it's nobody named Stallions. <laughs> because yeah. um, just trust me on that. That's quite a name too. I never saw, I never heard of a man named Stallions in my life. It just sounds like a guy that'd be involved in some shady stuff like that. Yeah. What Sean's referencing is there's reports that this guy had had purchased tickets for for games. Like he uses he uses actual name um, for these tickets for the scouting debacle that's going on at Michigan right now. A little bit more came out today. Um, Dedum wanted to give you a, a shout out. For throwbacks, shout-outs of the show award to Sean with the five-star quarterbacks of the past plus the Herb Hand reference. So congratulations oh, yeah. there, Sean. Yeah, um, I don't think we've mentioned Herb Hand much this year. Good cook back in the day, he apparently. He's good at something. He got a job from a lot of different places, though. Like He, he did. Maybe Auburn, he was better than he went to Texas. Was. He had a really good – okay, someone might not want to quote me on this. I swear he went to Oregon, too. I don't know if he went. I remember he went to Texas. I think he was with um, what's it, Tom Herman. If maybe I it was correctly. maybe it was Auburn where he one year like he had his offensive line hadn't given up a sack for the longest time. Yeah, he had had success at other places. Just I mean, here he didn't. And and to be fair to Herb Hand, he had six scholarship offensive linemen when he came here. So I mean, it's gonna be tough yeah. for you could bring the Eagles offensive line coach in. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a. I wonder, honestly, like, I, I, I love Trotwine, but I wonder what the relationship's like, because um, Herb Hand, only American conference offensive line coach, have all five of his starters earned some sort of postseason honors last year. Um, in 2022, UCF's offensive line led the nation of least blown block assignments on design runs. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, I mean. I, I because I knew he had success before he got to Penn State. Even yeah, I think he was at UTEP, maybe. I just closed it out. Or UTSA, or one of those schools that I remember they were they 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 did a good Tulsa. job. And I think he was pretty solid at Vanderbilt. Tulsa. Tulsa, that's who it was. Yeah. Um, and I think they were pretty solid at Vandy. He just didn't work here. And like I said, it it's it's kind of hard. It it's kind of ha- hard to make uh lemonades out of lemons sometimes right so. um hey thank you guys all for being here um we kept it under two hours which mike vales didn't think we were going to do that so <laughs> suck it mike vales um <laughs> but we kept it under two hours we appreciate you guys being here um not fun to lose 
Penn State's still got obviously everything in front of them. They just got to find a way to beat Michigan. Um, got to got to get better these next two weeks. I don't know what the weather looks like for Indiana on Saturday, but hopefully it's good throwing weather. Um, well, Sean, maybe can look that up while I do my last little things here. But uh, if you're on YouTube and you haven't already liked the video and subscribed, please make sure you've done that. State media obviously has a lot of great stuff coming out. The Pick'em is out. Go make sure you do your Pick'em. I want everybody to know that I am alone at the top, baby, leading the way in the Pick'em. I am the reigning champion. I won last year. I'm coming for my second. Uh, so make sure to go fill out your Big Ten Pick'em. If you're on the podcast, please make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. It's Apple, Spotify, Napster, wherever you're listening. Sean? 73 Partly Sunny. 73 Partly Sunny. That's throwing weather That's right what there. what you want. Yep. So, it's a fighting Tom Allens. Yeah. We will, uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. I saw an article already about, like, how does Indiana fire him, unfortunately. So, I think that's coming sooner than later. Um, yeah. That's a tough job, man. Yeah, but a big fan of Tom Allen. I would like, like Penn State should just hire Tom Allen as like a uh, a consultant for just before big games and let him give a speech. Fine with me. Just roll him out there. He gives some good speeches. <laughs> um, we will be back on Wednesday for some final thoughts, press conference, practice thoughts, and notes. And then we will turn our attention to the Hoosiers. So thank you guys so much for being here. We will see you on Wednesday night. For Sean Kane, I'm Corey Listoki. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. See you, everybody. Bye, everyone. Have a better night than these last. Wow, that was so cheesy <laughs> and sad. <laughs> nah, have a good night, Sam. Oh, oh, shit.